As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard The Athletic's Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait! With the fourth pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Sauce Gardner, defensive back, Cincinnati. And with that pick, the 2022 NFL Draft underway for the Jets and what became a huge night for the New York Jets out in Las Vegas, the first round that looks on paper like it's an absolute home run. They add Sauce Gardner at number four, Garrett Wilson at number 10, and then they trade back into the first round for Jermaine Johnson. We'll break it all down as always. Thanks for joining the Can't Wait Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Connor Hughes. Uh, Connor, we are without our producer, Marissa Morris, who is big timing us. She has gone to Las Vegas. She is at the draft for the athletic football show. Um, So good for her. um, And we will battle on without her. I heard she. I heard she has Michael's uh, signing bonus right now. Bet on the uh, on on a couple craps tables and a few penny slots. So we're we're gonna see if we actually ever see Marissa again, or if she's gonna strike it big and just never 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 come back to Dirty Jersey or Ohio, wherever Michael ends up. So, uh, but no, yeah, it, dude, it was an eventful day, man. I'll, I'll tell you what, it was. We we were joking, you and I, uh, last night about this, and and just before we went on the pod as well, because. The original game plan was to to go on air with with a, with a show last night, right? We were going to watch the Jets go and, and make the pick at four. The Jets are going to make the pick at ten. Uh, the Athletic has us all doing kind of like these structured stories. So it was you know you have to do this this pull out story on each of the picks that the teams make, which are like you know eight hundred words. Then at the end of the draft, you got to do a column for for the next day and a big board, you know. And and for all these teams that have one pick or teams like the Rams who have no picks. That's perfectly fine, right? You know, it's it's an easy day. You're 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 done probably by eleven or twelve o'clock, and and you know, easy easy up and on your way. But when the Jets had the two picks, it was already like, okay, it's going to take a little bit longer. But you and I were like, oh no, it's no big deal. We're still going to do a live podcast night of the draft. We're going to go live probably around like what were you saying, like twelve o'clock, like eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, yeah. something like that. We were going to go live, and then uh, Joey D decided to to make that last minute trade back into the first round to go get Jermaine Johnson at number 26, which not only was what four, uh, six picks before the end of the, the first round, but then that just added 
a little bit more onto the plate because now it's another 800 word story, you know, adding more to the column, completely changing the column in some senses and then getting that. So so instead of going live at uh, at 3 a.m. for you guys, we decided to push this one back to the morning. So we're all sharing coffee and I am sleep deprived. There is definitely sleep deprivation going on here. I'm probably going to ramble, roam, all that stuff and, and stumble and lose my train of thought and all that stuff because I do not do well when I don't have sleep. But luckily, we've got a uh, Brie and Lucy mug here which we're, uh, we're, we're drinking out of. And I'm on cup of coffee number three, trying to get back my sanity. And we're going to uh, see how this one goes. Yeah, I think the views would have suffered at 3 a.m. for the show. So I think... Uh, I don't know, dude. Or... After that draft, I don't know if Jet fans slept. I think they People might be... Wired. Like this yeah. Chat, yeah, this chat might be just as sleep deprived as I am. I think Jet fans were out partying all night. I've seen videos from uh, the the gentleman who does the, uh, the... I think it's called the Sack Lounge. He always does the... Um, the the twitter spaces I, I saw he had a party i think it was where they got a bunch of guys so i think i guess all got together for those spaces and they were cheering and screaming and yelling when jermaine johnson was still on the board so it's a good time to be uh to be a jet fan i think and it's a good time to be uh, uh a happy time here in jets nation obviously these picks have to pan out you know what i mean but i think at the, at the minimum there's there's reason to feel really really good and there's reason to feel really really happy last night and party a little bit last night and go into friday uh, probably calling off of work with uh, a couple of headaches and sore throats. Yes, called thing. So then I'm like, okay, get bed can do the more, but um, being ready for to to go to bed and fireworks go off outside our apartment. We live in Manhattan, <laughs> and suddenly, like, like really close, like boom, boom, like big ones outside our window. And and I turned to Mandy and I said, maybe it's Jets fans. I don't I don't know. It was they had a big night. They might be <laughs> firing off some Thursday night fireworks but uh yeah it it was it was exciting the whole draft draft was exciting it was it was and it almost started with the jets because the first three picks were like okay whatever whatever but then you had the jets taking sauce gardner uh he came out with you know we could rename him ice right with all the the diamonds he had going on um but then the trade started happening and and the draft rolled and the one thing that stood out to me this year maybe i just forget from year to year but it felt like the picks came faster than usual, although it still went till 1130 or whatever. But it just felt like thing, there was less downtime watching the broadcast and things just kept moving. It was a lot of fun. And the Jets had obviously a big night. So let's get into the picks specifically, starting with number four, Ahmed Sauce Gardner. I mentioned he he looked like a star cornerback. I'll give him that much. He had the uh, the sauce covered di- diamond covered necklace. He had sauce in diamonds on the necklace. Uh, this is a guy who, you know, smaller school, Cincinnati, but looks like the prototypical guy at cornerback. 6'3", he can fly, 4'4", the 40. Uh, he's competitive. I guess the only the only question marks about this guy is the fact that nobody threw to him this year because yeah. such a reputation at Cincinnati, kind of lesser competition that they're facing. And so other quarterbacks were just like, not paying attention to that side of the field. Um, but it seems like beyond those those numbers and the speed, he also goes well against the run. So just sum up what the Jets believe they're getting in this guy. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, man. This was one that that doing homework leading into the draft, I didn't think he was an option. I I, I really didn't. And and I unfortunately, uh, for the sake of people never talking to me again, uh, fell for some smoke screens and 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 bought the uh bought the smoke screens and connected some dots that that were uh were not connectable or, or that weren't, weren't supposed to be connected. But based off the homework that I had done, man, I, I was, I give a lot of people credit because they, they steered me. I thought I had a, I thought I had a pretty good feel on this one and they steered me in the complete other direction, probably by design. 
Um, but I thought that it was going to be someone other than Sauce. I, I thought it, there was a chance that it could have been Kayvon Thibodeau early in the early in the draft process. Uh, was was led accurately to to the knowledge that that was not the case. That that the Jets actually had Jermaine Johnson graded higher than than uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, so he was out of play. But once Kayvon Thibodeau was out, it was like, okay, what are the Jets going to do? Could they potentially grab Jermaine Johnson, who's their favorite rusher at four? Could it be Iki Aquanu, the offensive tackle to, to for the offensive tackle craze, Joe Douglas? You know, we'll see. And and what I was kind of led to believe was like, look, this is a this is a solid defense that values pass rushers. They don't necessarily need corners. This is what it's going to be back. And and the talk all going into the draft was it was either going to be offensive line or pass rusher at number at number four. If the Jets went offensive lineman, they were going to go pass rusher at 10. If they went pass rusher at four, they were going to go receiver at 10. And that's what it was going to be. I mean, that was the talk from the the sources that I touched base with in Seattle and Washington, a number of different teams, agents who represent these players. That's the smoke screen that the Jets were putting out. And then touching base with some inside the building was the same thing. Like, yeah, that's probably the case. Yeah, that's probably the case. And, you know, the thing about draft time, and, and I was actually joking with someone this morning about it, is that you can go absolutely crazy. You can go absolutely mad. I mean, it really is like the scene in Always Sunny where Charlie's in the mailroom trying to connect all the dots and finally thinking you have it, and then you're just like, oh, my God, what's going on? So, um, look, give a lot of credit to the Jets because they steered just about every single person off of the uh, off of the trail of Sauce Gardner until the last day. And, and when all that information came out 24, 48 hours ago, when, when I, I tweeted it out there that when the uh, – when all of the talk over the last 24, 48 hours starting to be, no, it's Sauce Garden of the Jets, it's Sauce Garden of the Jets. At that point, you're like, wait a minute. Is this all smokescreen now? I mean, it was just, it was madness the day before the draft to the point where I told uh, uh, one of the guys on staff with the Jets, I was like, man, I'm turning off my phone. I was like this, when I'm, when I'm hearing about Hutchinson falling to the Jets at number four, that's when I'm like, it's just, it's just time to put the phone aside and wait and see what exactly is going to happen. But um, look, it, what the Jets did here by taking Sauce Gardner is is they solidified a secondary that was one of the worst in the league for a while. And, and there's two ways that you can rectify the cornerback position and two ways that you can fix the cornerback position. The first way, which is what Joe Douglas told us at the NFL's annual meeting, is that you go and you knock the quarterback on his butt. You know, if that quarterback's on his butt, suddenly that quarterback's a heck of a lot less effective. And the $30 million receiver he's trying to throw to is a heck of a lot of or a heck of a lot less effective. Um, that's one way that you can do it. The other way is that you build a pretty good secondary outside, which is going to lock down the receivers for a few extra seconds or a few extra ticks, I should say, not seconds, but a few extra ticks. And those extra ticks will allow the Jets to, or allow the pass rush to end up getting home. Um, allow the pass rush to end up getting home and the pass rush getting home will obviously then, you know, all that, they work hand in hand, the secondary and the defensive line working hand in hand. And, now you you think about what the Jets secondary looked at looked like last year, right? Where you had Brandon Eccles and and Bryce Hall and Mike Carter as your three cornerbacks. Well, now you've got Sauce Gardner, who's going to be starting day one on one side. You got DJ Reed, who's going to be starting day one on the outside. You've got Michael Carter there in the nickel with with uh, Jordan Whitehead and Lamarcus Joyner at safety. And with this second round pick, the Jets have uh, they could very easily add another body there at safety as well. So this secondary is now immensely better to pair with the Jets pass rush, which is going to be better. And that two, that combination, that one-two punch, I mean, I'm not willing to say that the Jets defense is resembling what, what Robert Sala had in San Francisco in 2019. There's still no Nick Bosa on this team, but it is a heck of a lot better. And when you think about where they were 48 hours ago to where this secondary looks like right now, it's uh, it's it's wildly impressive. It's, it's really, really impressive. And 
Look, there were a number of different directions. I think we said this, that the Jets could have gone with at number four when you're coming off a 2-14 and 14 and 4-13 and 13 season over the last two years. There are a lot of different directions that you can go. They went with cornerback. As long as Sars Gardner turns out to be a player, it was the right call uh, because he fills a big need and gives them a playmaker and, and what a lot of scouts and executives believe is a safe option here at number four. Yeah, and overall, people uh, really like. Now, question for you, you know, you got retweeted by by cold takes like hours after the take. It, it was it was a rough day in that standpoint. But Michael Dunn brings up a good point. Not Marissa's Michael Dunn, but Michael Dunn yeah. has a question for you. And not to go too far inside journalism, but hey, Connor, you know, when a source leads you in a different direction, basically using you for a smokescreen, what does that do for the relationship with the source? I think that's a fair question. Right. I think after seeing what happened with this and, and how good Joe Douglas is at, at the smoke screens and getting disinformation out there, it's, I think, a question that a lot of people think about. You learn. You learn. You learn who you can trust and who you can't. I mean, look, I, the fact is, is that I, I loved it because I, I saw the, the tweets that were, I shouldn't have, I should have stayed out of the mentions, but I saw the tweets about, you know, oh, Connor has no sources. Connor has nothing. And I'm, <laughs> I, Part of that made me chuckle because I was like, man, I was like, what about the stories that were broken from the same people during the season? Or what about, you know, when we, we basically laid out the free agent plan for you and the 10 players that the Jets were going to have uh, links to and the, and the players that they were most likely to sign. And then they went out and they signed a bunch of those players or, you know, the, the Kayvon Thibodeau stuff or the Debo Samuel stuff or the Tyree Kill stuff and you know, all the things that we had talked openly about and, and sourced about and the information we were able to provide fans. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, that's all kind of thrown to the wayside because there was a little bit off on the sauce Gardner information, but look, I mean, it, it does, it's a lesson learned and it, it's something that unfortunately is part of this field. You know, there's a lot of bullshit that's thrown around and there's a lot of truth that's thrown around and you got to weed through the bullshit to find the truth. And unfortunately, if you believe the wrong thing or you trust the wrong thing, you, uh, you, you, you tend to, uh, you look like a fool. And, and that was the case. Uh, that was certainly the case last night, but um, yeah, I was, I was cracking up at that when I was seeing like, Oh, you got no sources. Oh, you're awful. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, man, I was like, well, what about all the things that we said were going to happen that did happen, you know, but unfortunately that's just kind of the way that, that this, uh, this thing works, but no, it, it changes. Look, you, you live and you learn in this field, like I said, and, and unfortunately, um, you want to bat a thousand and you expect to bat a thousand and I expect to bat a thousand and I didn't bat a thousand here. You know, it was, it was, I, I, I listened to the wrong thing. I, I thought the wrong thing. I believed the wrong thing. And, uh, and was burned because of it, and I, I deserve the uh, the slack that's coming my way today. But I'll tell you what, the the first round that the Jets ended up having, I think, took a little heat off my uh, my plate at least because I think fans are fans are awful happy. I think today, so they don't have too much time to hate on me. But you know, I'm always yeah. Uh, yeah. And nobody bats a thousand. I had this conversation with Ken Rosenthal not that long ago, who is you know the guy in major league baseball, as far as information goes. And he had, he had gotten one wrong and I asked him about it and he said the same thing. He said, you know, I, and it's brutal. That's the thing, man. It's like, you know, I did, it, it wasn't one person. Like, that's the thing. It's like it. And that's, you know, people are like, Oh, it's one per It was not one person. Like, that's like, that's the thing is that you hear it outside and you take it outside and then you take it a little bit further and you say, you go to somebody else. Did you hear this? Yeah. You go to somebody else. Did you hear this? Then you start flirting it with other people because, like, people in the building aren't gonna aren't gonna tell you what they're gonna do. I mean, in no in no situation is is a Jets team source going to hand me their draft board. But you hear information, you kind of trade information, you use past conversations to dictate what you know. And based off of past conversations, I wish I could say like, you know, I could hold up my phone and be like, "This is why I felt the way that I did," or "This is why." But obviously, <laughs> that person will never talk to me again if I were to do that, and those people would never talk to me again if I were to do that. Uh, which is unfortunate, but again, like it's, it's, you know, it's the draft is the downside with, with reporting generally is that very rarely are, are you used to create a smoke screen um, or used to 
uh, or very rarely is false information out there like there is for the draft. And, and you know, free agency is not like that. Um, coaching searches are not like that. Uh, in-season sourcing and in-season information gathering is not like that. So it's usually pretty easy to, to or not easy, but it's it's more reputable. You can grab it easier and you can trust it easier. With the draft, there's just so much information that's spreading around. We're like, I, I'll honestly, I'll honestly tell you guys this. Like, so I had an executive um, for for an NFC football team, a, a director of pers- a director of pro personnel for an NFC football team, uh, front office guy from Washington, and two agents talked to me um, yesterday, which is when I sent out the tweet about Sauce Gardner that there is rumblings coming out that Sauce Gardner is going to be a Jet. So I sent that out there. Um, I then followed up with those guys. I was like, well, how are you hearing that? Is it, are you hearing that because you're hearing it from inside the jets building? Are you hearing it because you're tight with sauce Gardner's people? And that's who you're hearing. I mean, how are you getting that? Like, how are you getting the information? And a lot of them were saying, well, it's all over the place with the media. And I'm like, well, what the heck am I supposed to that's do with just that? just like, making an echo yeah, chamber. Yeah, I was like, yeah. So it's like you can like you have to differentiate between like, and I give Rich Samini a ton of credit because ESPN's Rich Samini was on the Sauce Gardner thing before I ever thought it was possible, before anyone was really mocking him to the Jets, aside from Daniel Jeremiah. But like Rich was on that and he was banging that drum and he didn't care who banged it and then it blew out. But I didn't know if it was like, was was this blowing up because Rich had banged the drum and suddenly everyone started, like it was like, well, what are you hearing from? And everyone was like, well, it's all over media right now. I was like, well, what the hell does that mean? Like, is there truth there? Sure. Yeah, there turned out to be a ton of truth there. But you got to weed through all that to end up finding the facts and finding the facts and pulling them out. And unfortunately, uh, like I said, past conversations that I'd had over the last few weeks, not 48 hours before the draft and things people had told me who were very, very familiar with Robert Sala's thinking and the way that Robert Sala's defenses are constructed. You know, you kind of have to go with with what you trust. And unfortunately, you you trust you trusted the wrong thing and you got burned and I got a. I got freezing cold take. Then I, I can promise you that when training camp rolls around and I walk the sideline to training camp and there are all those jet fans there that, that sometimes affectionately call out and, and say, hello, there's definitely going to be a couple that are going to be right, reminding me about, you know, saying that Jermaine Johnson was going to be the pick at number four, but and who cares about specifics? Cause they still got him at 26, right? Exactly. The freezing cold takes, by the way, it's a badge of honor Wear wear that one with pride. Um, yeah, so before we get to pick number 10, it is interesting. And it's going to be something that goes forward from this year's draft because the giants picked five and the giants picked seven. Uh, so the, the jets who we thought it was either going to be offensive line or pass rush, they end up going cornerback there. And then the Giants at five go with Kayvon. And then at yeah. seven, they get Neil. So they end up getting both. And it, I think just like you think like three years from now to see how this all plays out. And it's going to be fascinating with these two teams in the same city having such an important draft the same year to see how all of these players end up turning out. Um, yeah. You know, well, the thing is, fun. man, it's like it, it, it is going to be fun because Kayvon, it wasn't like the Jets picked sauce over Kayvon. Kayvon Thibodeau, like I kind of said the last few days, he was never an option for the Jets. Like they had other pass rushers grades significantly higher than him. Uh, and in one case, it wasn't significantly higher. But the Jets did have uh, uh, Jermaine Johnson ahead of Kayvon Thibodeau. So at number 10, if Kayvon Thibodeau was there at number 10, and the Jets had gone with uh, a, a receiver. I'd say that basically, look, the reason why the Jets went receiver at 10 is because they didn't trade for a receiver, which we're going right. to talk about in a bit. But if the Jets had traded for Debo Samuel or they had got Tyreek Hill, the number 10 pick is not Garrett Wilson. The number 10 pick was going to be a pass rusher, and that pass rusher was going to be Jermaine Johnson, whom the Jets had a top eight grade on. 
they just weren't as high on, on Kayvon Thibodeau. And it had nothing to do with his personality. I think that was the thing that a lot of people misconstrued with the Jets and Kayvon Thibodeau is they heard like, oh, they're not high on him because of, of the branding and because of how much he cares about life after football or life outside of football. That's not the case. The Jets genuinely did like him as a person. They had no issue with the branding. They had no issue with his social media presence. They had no issue with his personality. They didn't care about those things because as one coach described it to me, that's just this, this, that's just the new age athlete. The new age athletes is coming out of college and it's going to be more and more and more with all these NIL deals is that this player knows that there is more to life than just football. And Kayvon Thibodeau still loves football. That wasn't the Jets issue with him. The issue was that they just didn't like him as a player as much as a lot of other people. They had concerns with his production. They had concerns with his size. They just didn't like him as much as a player. So he wasn't an option at four, certainly. And he was not an option at 10 either. So they were never going to go and get him. What I'm going to be fascinated to see play out is that the Giants and Shane, clearly they felt differently. They clearly believed differently on Kayvon, which is why they selected him fifth overall. And the Jets are going to have an up-close look and up-close look at this because the Jets got their guy that they liked more than Thibodeau. They got Jermaine Johnson. The Giants got the guy they liked more than a lot of other pass rushers in this draft, not named Aiden Hutchinson. They got Thibodeau. You're going to see those two in New York at the same time over the next three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years to see how this one plays out. Was Douglas right? Excuse me. Was Douglas right or was Shane right? We're going to get to see this one play out. The Evan Neal thing, from my understanding, Icky was the – if the Jets were going lineman, it was going to be Icky. They were not going to take right. Evan Neal. Icky was the one that they loved the most. They had a really high grade on him. Like I said, one offensive line coach uh, told me that he was an, a very established offensive line coach, told me um, that he was uh, uh, one of the best offensive line prospects he's seen in a while. Joe Douglas agreed with that. He just had Sauce Gardner a little bit higher on his board, probably because Sauce Gardner help, would help him out a little bit more. And also there's some politics involved with the fact that Joe, that Joe just took – an offensive tackle two years ago, but the whole Thibodeau, Jermaine Johnson thing and the Giants taking him, the Jets passing on him, it's going to be fascinating. But, you know, it's it's not like the Jets were like, oh, you know, if Sauce wasn't there, we were going with KT. They were not going to draft KT. Like, that was not going to happen. And nothing to do with his personality, which was very well reported on by a lot of people other than just me. They didn't have an issue with his personality. The issue was that they just didn't believe he was as, as dynamic of a player as others did. Yeah, and the Giants might have been higher on Icky than Neil, too. Um, I think they yeah. took Thibodeau five because there was still three. You still had both those guys on the board, yep. so they knew they would get one of them at seven. Yeah, right, because so Icky, Neil, and Cross. Cross right, was so on there, too, right? Thibodeau they took Thibodeau at five, like yeah, knowing that that they'd get one of those guys, and they, and they did. So, um, and it, it, real, real quick, Tim, before yep. we move on, is that if you do want the player that, that the Jets stole from the Giants, you know, the alternate reality, because, like, we're, we're going to talk about, like, it's always the guy that goes second, right? Like, it's always the guy that, like, oh, the Jets had a chance to draft KT. They right. didn't, and the Giants do. Let's see what the, let's see what they do. The Giants loved Sauce Gardner. Like, the Giants loved him. He was going to be a Giant. And that told me, uh, uh, as a matter of factly as anything else, that he was going to be a Giant if the Jets did not take him at four. So, while the Jets maybe chose KT, or saw, like, the uh, uh, we're going to get to see if the Jets made a mistake not drafting KT, well, and the, the, the flip side of that is that the Giants are also going to get a look at what they were one pick away from having with Sauce Gardner because they loved him. The same breath last year where they really wanted Devonta, uh, Devonta, uh, the kid, Devonta Smith, the kid, the receiver, the, the Eagles. Took. Bama, yeah. The, yeah, the Giants wanted him. The Eagles traded in front of the Giants to get him. This was a very similar thing where if Sauce got past the Giants, he was going or got past the Jets, he was going to be a Giant. 
the Jets drafted him before that could happen. So it's going to be a fun little storyline to watch play out. The player the Jets, the player the Giants wanted but couldn't get, and the player the Jets could have had but didn't want. All right, the overall storyline from the first round, I think, was receivers, right? They went, so many receivers started coming off the board, plus the big trade. We're going to talk about all of that after this break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, let's talk about some receivers. And there was so much talk about trading for a receiver and Tyreek Hill and, yeah. and it all all the different rumors, Connor, at the end of the day, the Jets end up drafting a receiver. I think the receiver that they wanted, but on draft night, AJ Brown gets traded to the Eagles. Um, it, it made this really interesting because you'd think the Jets were involved in any discussions with AJ Brown as much as the Titans were saying they weren't going to move him. So you think the Jets ended up just deciding Garrett Wilson was the better route. They didn't want to give up what, what the Titans were asking for. How did this kind of play out with the Jets ending up going with the receiver at number 10? Yeah, so the the crazy thing here, man, is like they were definitely in on every discussion. Like, like that's the thing, is is they they were in on every single discussion for every single receiver, and, and we've chronicled that uh, quite a bit. You know, like they, they called the, the Cowboys about Amari Cooper. You know, they wanted Amari Cooper. They were – unable to get that deal done with Amari Cooper in, in large part because the Cowboys weren't able to, to make any or weren't willing to make any potential deal contingent on a reworked contract. Like they called about Calvin Ridley, the, the Atlanta Falcons put this, um, they were not willing to negotiate in bad faith. Is that how you want to, or how it's supposed to be termed or or described or something like that is they're not willing to negotiate yeah. in poor faith because you know they, they knew he was about to be suspended they didn't want to trade him for a second round pick and then for, suddenly that team to find out what the hell we just traded for a guy that's not going to play all year so that didn't happen they obviously had an agreement in place that the chiefs accepted for tyree kill they went after tyree kill they weren't able to get tyree kill because tyree kill preferred to play in miami as opposed to east rutherford for obvious reasons south beach is great um, then you just kind of move down the list is, is they want a Debo Samuel, right? But everything that we've said from the very, very beginning, this was never about Debo Samuel wanting not, this wasn't about Debo Samuel wanting to be traded. This was not about the Jets desires to go out and get Debo Samuel. This was about the San Francisco 49ers realizing that they are a contender this year in large part because they have Debo Samuel on that roster. He is that team's, arguably, that team's best player. He is their best running back. He is their best receiver. That offense runs and functions and nearly made an improbable run to the Super Bowl because he is on that roster. In order for them to part with Debo Samuel, they needed to be blown away in a 
with a Jamal Adams-like package, right? Because the Jets were in a similar position where they were like, we know we're not a contending team. We know Jamal Adams wants to be traded, but our defense is immensely better without Jamal or with Jamal Adams on it than without. We believe we can rectify this situation that while he's angry and pissy right now, we can still make things better and we can eventually make things better, but it's just going to take time. Then the Seahawks came out with the package that they offered him. Joe was like, all right, bye, Jamal. But it's mostly because the Seahawks blew him away more than that he had a desire to trade Jamal Adams. It basically, they made him an offer that he could not refuse. The 49ers were not going to trade Debo Samuel unless they got an offer they can't refuse. So the Jets called. The Jets made an offer. The Jets made a competitive offer. The Jets made an offer that was going to be in line with what they offered for Tyreek Hill. But when this, the 49ers wanted above and beyond because they still think they can make it work with Debo, the Jets backed out. It was a similar situation with A.J. Brown. You look, they got a one and a three. I don't think the Jets were willing to part with the one and a three. The Eagles want, or the Titans wanted a one. So what Joe Douglas ended up deciding was our best option, what is in the best interest of this team, is to not trade our draft capital for one player. It's to not blow away the Titans or blow away the, the 49ers for a trade. Is that, oh, and by the way, another one's always like, oh, the source of, we were the ones who said the most likely receiver to get traded of the Debo Samuel, um, Debo Samuel, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown thing was AJ Brown. Like that was the guy who was most likely to be traded. And sure enough, he gets traded, but that's neither here nor there. So what the Jets decided to do was that instead of giving all of those picks for somebody else, Let's round out our roster and let's go and get a receiver. And they ended up choosing Garrett Wilson. Now, what I'm fascinated by is that, and, and I genuinely do believe this, is that among the reasons that the Jets went out there and they were interested in all of these proven receivers, right? Brown and, and Samuel and, and uh, Hill and Cooper and Ridley is because not only are they proven established receivers right now that can help Zach Wilson right now, but part of that also has to do with the fact that this receiver class is deep, but not great. You know what I mean? Like Elijah Moore, I think I, I've, I've, I'm, on, I'm on record talking about this on the podcast. Like Elijah Moore, one executive told me, would have been a top 15, top 10 pick if he was in this year's class. You know what I mean? Like you can say that, that Garrett Wilson is about on par with the same type of player in terms of a grade-wise as – Elijah Moore. Now, yeah, that means the Jets got great value in Elijah Moore in the second round last year, but it also goes to show that the receiver class this year just really isn't all that dynamic. You know what I mean? Like Garrett Wilson can be a very, very good player, number one receiver, really dynamic player, but he's not Chase. He's not Beckham. He's not like he's not Jefferson. He's not like some of these receivers that have come back, come out in years past. But what the Jets felt is that grabbing Wilson and adding him to this roster did more for this team than trading a number of these picks for a Debo Samuel or blowing away for a package for A.J. Brown. Because if you think about it, the Jets now not only have Wilson, but they also have Jermaine Johnson. They also have Sauce Gardner. They also have the 38th pick in the second round this year. They've got 101 in round four. They have a fifth round pick as well. So it wasn't just about, oh, the Jets were getting uh, who they were going to take at four and then Debo Samuel. It's that they got their pick at four at Gardner. They got their pick at 10, Wilson. They got their pick at 26 in Johnson. And they're going to have the rest of this draft class as well. And that totality, the totality of all of those picks, as Joe Douglas told us last night at the end of first round press conference, the totality of those selections was of greater value to the Jets as a whole as it would have been to only have one or two of those draft picks and Samuel or one or two of those draft picks and Brown. Because it was going to take more 
to get Brown, or I'm sorry, more to get Samuel than it would have of the package they offered to get Tyree Kill. When the Jets were only giving up their two twos, and I think it was a four, and they were getting back a five or something like that for Hill, however that package evened out, that they weren't depleting their draft capital to get Hill. They would have had to take a huge chunk out of that potentially this year and next year to go get Samuel. So uh, it wasn't that the Jets weren't interested in Samuel. They were. It wasn't that the, the Jets didn't make a competing offer. It was just for the Jets to get Samuel, they would have had to have gone above and beyond. They would have had to have done what Joe Douglas said he will never do at the NFL's annual meeting, not be aggressive because they were aggressive in trying to get Samuel. It was reckless. They would have needed to be reckless to get a, a deal done. They weren't willing to go that high. So they come away with Garrett Wilson, who's a pretty good consolation prize. I mean, this is a guy who's versatile. This is a guy who's elusive. This is a guy who I've been told is a tailor-made fit for Michael Floor's offense. He's good after the catch. He's good deep. He's only six foot but his long arms allow him to play outside of his body. He's electric. He's fast. Obviously, you see that with the 4-3-8. His versatility is key because not only can he play outside, but he can play inside, very similar to Elijah Moore. So the ways that LaFleur can deploy Moore and Wilson and Corey Davis and Uzama and um, uh, uh, Conklin, the other tight end that they signed, I mean, it just adds, all, adds to the number of different ways that the Jets can confuse defenses and disrupt defenses and make defenses feel a little weird. So uh, he's certainly a good pick. He's a valuable pick. And, and this Jets offense, like we said about the secondary after they took sauce, secondary looks a lot better. The receiving core and weapons at Zach Wilson's disposal. Tim, it was not long ago that we were sitting here talking about a offense that had Deontay Burnett as a potential option at slot or, um, uh, Deontay Burnett as an option at slot and Jermaine curse was a starting receiver on this team. And Robbie Anderson was a number one, right? When Zach Wilson drops back, he's going to have CJ at tight end. He's going to have Conklin at tight end. He's going to have Mike Carter at running back. He's going to have Corey Davis and Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson at receiver. And Oh, by the way, the jets still have more picks to add more talent and playmakers. So things are looking significantly better. Again, these guys need to develop more needs to develop. Wilson needs to develop, but things look so much better now for the jets than they did in the past. How about the the other question? We talked about the trade, but I brought it up while you were um, texting about the fact that they didn't go with Jamison, that they went with the healthy receiver yeah. over the higher upside injured receiver. Yeah, so the Jets just wanted someone to help Zach Wilson now. Right away. That's, that's just a fact. I mean, like, look, is there a chance that Jamison William plays in October or November? Yeah, there, there, there's a chance he's going to be on the field in October or November, but he's not going to be practicing in OTA's mini camp or training camp. He's not going to be practicing until October to then play in November or late September to play in mid-October. So the Jets need somebody to help Zach Wilson now. That's why they went and tried to trade for the proven receiver, right? That's why they did it. Is is largely because they didn't there's there's no bona fide stud in this year's class as as a bona fide stud meaning like a um uh Jamar Chase but also because they wanted someone to help them now. If they went and they got Jamison Williams, it's just, it's from their thinking, it's, he's not going to help Zach Wilson right now. And they need to help Zach Wilson right now in the immediate. They can't, I want to help him in week six, seven, eight. They want to help him in weeks one, two, three, four, five. And aside from one, two, three, four, five, they want to help him in OTAs, mini camp, and training camp. And that's what Wilson's going to allow them to do that Williams would not. In my personal opinion, I probably would have taken Williams. I'll be honest. I liked Williams more than I liked Wilson, more than I liked London, more than I liked anyone else. But you can't fault the thinking of, we want to help the guy right now. We want to help our quarterback right now. 
Yeah, and give him that off-season work. He's done so much to find his receivers around the country and work out, and and it'll be important to to get that time in. Um, for comp's sake, Dame Brugler compares uh, Wilson to C.D. Lamb. So that's oh, that happens with a home run pick. Like if if that happens, if he <laughs> right. is C.D. Lamb, or the other one I heard um, was Calvin Ridley. I saw last night that somebody else said Calvin Ridley. If he's Calvin Ridley, if he's C.D. Lamb, and you add Cal, like think about that. Put C.D. Lamb in this offense with Corey Davis and Elijah Moore. And then tight ends. Because remember, for the first time in like 20 years, the Jets have competent tight ends. So you throw that in the mix with Mike Carter, and the Jets might add another running back here on the second day because as long as LaFleur is his offensive coordinator, there's going to be a running back by committee. That's good. That's really, really good. I mean, now obviously it all comes down to Zach Wilson developing, and Zach's got to take the next step. But that is a huge, huge step forward. I mean, this, this offense, the way this offense looks right now, in totality, offensive line, running game, quarterback upside, quarterback potential upside, receiving game, tight end. It is so night and day from when I first started covering this team. Full-time. If you want to take outside of that 2015-16 season where, um, where you know, they had Eric Decker and Brandon Marshall. Since that year where Eric Decker and Brandon Marshall, their swan song, I've never seen an offense look have this much potential. Obviously, the potential's got to come through. Carter has to continue to develop. Zach, like I said, Wilson has to be good. Moore needs to take the next step. Corey has to bounce back and stay healthy. Obviously, those all play a role. Makai, Fant, Tucker, Tomlinson, all those things have to happen but the potential of this offense is through the roof. It really is. Sometimes the draft gods smile on specific teams, and it felt like that was the case for the Jets because after pick 10, in my thought process, I was thinking, okay, this is, you know, shutdown corner, great receiver, a need, but man, this team really needed and wanted a pass rusher. And so so how do we feel about this draft? And I felt, felt like it was good, but not great, right? There was something missing. Yeah. And then sure enough, the guy that the Jets, according to you, considered at number four at one point. Like he was in, I can't at least wait to in see the, the response to this Twitter chat when they, they hear, according to you. I can't <laughs> wait to hear that one. Oh, boy. <laughs> I did not mean it that way. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh, Jermaine Johnson, when he, I'm trying to think, watching the draft, I think it was when he got to like, we got to like 16 maybe, and he was still on the board. I just thought, well, the Jets have to go get him now. Like, if he's fallen this far, they have to. And he felt 10 more picks from there. They end up getting him at 26. Um, and when you look at the trade, like, they had the two high seconds. They give up one of those, and then they give up a later pick. But then they get a pick back in it. I mean, it feels like they didn't even – it feels like really good value to to give up what they did to move up to 26 to get a guy that – they contemplated taking a number four. I mean, it's just the tip of the cap to Joe Douglas. Yeah. And, and the contemplation at four, like I said, I mean, I, I thought, again, I thought they were going to, I thought they were going to pull the trigger, but it was the nerves of, will he be there at 10? So my, my thought process with them taking right. it at four was if you love him at 10 and he's your favorite rusher and you want to rusher for Salah and you're worried he's not going to be there at 10, just take him at four. Because if he's going to be a good player and he's going to be a 10 to 12 sack guy who gives a shit, like no one's going to care that he was picked you know, five spots earlier than draft people thought if he's as good as you guys think he's going to be. Now, the Jets obviously ended up going sauce, and then they went Garrett Wilson. They were like, all right, let's see what happens with Jermaine. But like Douglas said, they had a top eight grade on this kid. They love him. They, they loved his personality. They loved his makeup. They loved his journey. Uh, Sala called him the most pro-ready rusher within this draft. They believe that he's skill set where he's, again, he's also not just a rusher. The guy can play the run, too. He's a complete player. But they believe that his athleticism, his long arms, his burst, 
his ability to get up the field and then attack the quarterback. He just knows how to get to the quarterback, which is probably because he's a little bit older. I think he's 23 years old. So he's a little bit older, which probably is one among the reasons why he's more pro ready and more reasons why he's got a little bit more experience because he's older, but him in this wide nine defense is going to be electric is going to be dynamic. I mean, Connor Rogers, who's another uh, fellow Connor and, and great draft expert does good stuff for bleacher report and NFL net uh, uh, bleacher report and SMY. Um, I was listening to him today and he had him as like his sixth, his sixth graded prospect in the draft. So the jets get that guy at 26. I mean, most people I talked to had a top 10 grade on him. The reason why he fell and we'll discuss this. Uh, well, we'll discuss why he fell. Just remember, remind me to remind me on that one, Tim, is that we have to talk about uh, why specifically he fell, but the jets liked him at 10. They were potentially considering him at four if they were really worried about him getting at 10. You know, that probably was more in contention there if the Jets were able to trade for Debo or trade for Hill or something like that. But as he started falling down and he got to, I think it was 11 when when Joe said he and Salah started talking about, okay, we might want to move up and get him. He gets a little bit further. He gets into the 20s. He gets into 25. That's when it's like, okay, let's go up and get him. And basically from a value perspective, to go and get Jermaine Johnson, the Jets gave up from a value perspective that that um, that J- uh, Jimmy Johnson trade chart from that point value system. The Jets gave up a fifth round pick to go get Jermaine Johnson. They gave up an extra value of a fifth round pick to go up and get Jermaine Johnson. That is a hell of a deal. If this guy develops, as you hoped again, there were people in there who had a higher grade on him than Thibodeau. So they liked him more than Thibodeau. They believed he had more upside than Thibodeau. They believe this guy has 10 sack potential, is a perfect fit in a wide nine defense, can be a dynamic defensive force on a defensive line that keeps getting better and better and better and gets more talent and more talent and more talent infused in it. And they were able to get him at 26. Like, that's just wild to me. And and it was the the draft was fine before that. The draft was good before that. You get your corner receiver. You fix the secondary. You fix the receiving unit. You're set. But to then add the pass rusher as well, a player that you were considering top 10, to come out of this draft, with three players that you valued as the top 10 picks in this year's draft, three of them. And to do that, you only had to part with an extra fifth rounder. That is wild to me. Like it really is. It really is wild. Johnson uh, transferred to Florida state from Georgia, which is just scary. Like anyone who watched the Georgia defense last Mm -hmm. year and to think like the recruiting that goes on for these powerhouses, Ohio state, Georgia, Alabama, that there's a guy like Jermaine Johnson um, who just couldn't, get on the field because it's just too much talent. It's scary, but he goes to Florida state and he has one amazing year. Um, why did he slip? Why did he fall down to yeah. 26? What are the red flags? So it's not really red flag. That's yeah. Red, red flags, probably a real negative. Yeah. That's harsh. You, yeah, yeah. Cause you hear red flag. You're like, Oh no, you know, like injury, right. red flag, personality, red flag. So I talked to a, uh, a director of pro personnel for an NFC football team um, who was linked to johnson early in the draft who passed on johnson they 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 elected not to take johnson despite the fact that a lot of people felt they were going to and i said to him i was like all right well aside from the jets you were another team that was said to have loved him why didn't you guys do it and he said for where we were drafting he goes we had a couple concerns he goes number one he goes he only has one year of production he goes and that one year of production came in the acc he goes that that made us a little nervous he goes two. He's a little bit older. He goes, we weren't, we weren't that happy with that. He goes, you know, if he was only had the one year of production was really young, that's fine. But he only had one year of production. That one year of production only came in the ACC. 
He goes, but the biggest thing that made us kind of go, huh? He goes, it's not that we didn't like him. It's not that we hated him. It's not that we think he's going to be a bust. He goes, but one of the reasons why we decided to go elsewhere is that while he had an immense amount of sacks last year, he didn't have many pressures and hits. And he said, he goes, when you evaluate a pass rusher, he goes, when everyone says like, you know, sacks or whatever, sacks or whatever, he goes, it's not, he goes, it's not totally true. He goes, but pressures and hits are extremely valuable. He goes, that is more valuable than sacks. He goes, because you can replicate pressures and hits. He goes, and if you have a lot of pressures and hits, eventually the sacks will come. It's like, you know, if you build it, it will come or they will come. If you have enough sacks and hits eventually, or if you got enough pressures and hits, eventually you're going to get those sacks. This director of pro personnel had concerns that he didn't have the hit numbers. He just had the sack numbers and sacks aren't always replicable. I have to say that word so slow because it's such a tongue twister for me, but sacks aren't always replicable. So he was, that's why they ended up passing on him. And that's why other teams passed him. He started falling and falling and falling. But, you know, we asked about Joe, we asked that to Joe, like, you know, look, he's, he's a guy who slipped clearly beyond what other people did. And Joe said, look, we believe in our board. We believe in our scouts. We believe in the people that make decisions here. We had a very high grade on him and we love that we got him. So, the fact that we're sitting here, Tim, on, on April 29th, the day after the first round of the draft, and, and the Jets were able to come out of here with, look, if I told you they were going to come out of here with, with Garrett Wilson or Jermaine Johnson, you would have said F yeah. If I told you they were coming out with Sauce Gardner and Garrett Wilson, you would have said F yeah. Sauce Gardner and Garrett Wilson, or Sauce Gardner and Johnson. Hell yeah. They came out with Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, and Jermaine Johnson. That is a ridiculous coup. And again, these players need to develop saying like the jets hit a home run in this year's draft, probably a little strong because we don't know that these players are going to develop, but from a potential standpoint, if these guys develop as the jets hope, this is already a potentially franchise altering draft. If you've got a lockdown corner, a number one receiver and a 10 sack a year guy, that is a potentially franchise altering draft. And what is wild to me is they still have picked number 38. They still have picked number one Oh one. And we've still got the fourth, fifth, sixth rounds to go as well, and seventh rounds to go. Uh, all right, let's move on to that stuff and and who's left and and who they may target here on day number two. Uh, there's plenty left, obviously. Uh, Kobe Dean, another Georgia defensive player, just ridiculous inside linebacker, is available. He, I would think, probably doesn't get to the Jets. Um, he's going to go real high, I think. Um, but then guys that could be there, Brees Hall, the running back, uh, Dane has Jalen Petrie, the safety of Baylor going to the jets and his day two mock draft. Connor, there's tight, the best tight end available. Trey McBride 39 might be a little high for him, but you know, they, they want to add another tight end in this draft at some point. So where do you think they're leaning? Um, because I would think they have a board right now where they have like five players, right? And one of these guys is going to be available. Yeah. We take them It's pretty easy yes. at this point for that first pick. Yeah. So the, look, the, the, I know a lot of people are like, oh, linebackers in need, linebackers in need, linebackers in need. That That's probably a, a the thought process of drafting a linebacker here in the second or third round, which is which is possible. It's not it's not a need in 2022, but it is going to be needed in 2023 because it's highly unlikely CJ Mosley returns in 2023. The Jets are going to move on from him, get that salary cap space back, get those picks together and then kind of move or get that, get that salary cap space, create that wiggle room and move on. There's no need to pay a middle linebacker 18 and a half million dollars or 70 and a half million dollars, whatever Mosley is going to be getting next year. So the jets believe that, that the, their linebacker where they would need a new linebacker 
it's more with an eye towards the future, like CJ Mosley's eventual replacement. And then you pair him with Quincy Williams, whom the Jets do believe has legitimate Pro Bowl potential. Like they believe that Quincy Williams has Pro Bowl potential. So you're looking for the eventual replacement for the player next to Quincy, not necessarily 2022. A lot of the reasons why people said the Jets linebackers suck, the Jets linebackers are bad. They need new linebackers. The reasoning why, and we've said this on the show before, the problems at linebacker weren't necessarily because of poor play at linebacker, but because the Jets had so many issues on the interior of their defensive line that it uh, rendered itself in the form of poor linebacker play. If the Jets fixed their interior defensive line, not only did they have better interior, interior defensive line play, but the linebackers will get better as well. However, with that said, there are some linebackers on the board here. So for that reason, I would say like, oh, they're not going to go linebacker second round. But the way that this draft is shaken out, eventually you got to stick to your board. And if Dean is somehow there, the linebacker from Georgia with the Jet or the linebacker from Georgia, I think he's going to be someone who's in consideration. I also wouldn't rule out Chad Muma, the linebacker from Wyoming, Christian Harris, the linebacker from Alabama. I mean, there is definitely there are, there are situations that could very easily unfold here, both a 38 if Dean's there or if the Jets trade back to a team looking to come up for one of the quarterbacks that wasn't picked in the first round and get some extra draft capital here on day two where they could easily look in the linebacker. The other position that I would think I would keep a really strong eye on is that interior defensive line. Travis Jones, the defensive tackle out of Connecticut, he's still there. I think he could absolutely be in play. Logan Hall, the defensive tackle out of Houston, he's somebody else who's still there. I think he's a potential option. The Jets, obviously, as we talked about, they didn't go Iki Aquanu at number four, but there are still legitimate concerns on the offensive line. George Fant's on the final year of his contract. Well, the Jets have talked extension. You don't know how that's going to go. Also, you don't know if George Fant's going to regress to the mean. Mekhi Becton, we've gone over and over and over again about the concern centered around him. Yeah, he's got Pro Bowl potential, but he has to meet that Pro Bowl potential. So I think you could see the Jets potentially look to go at offensive line in the second or third round because there are some interesting players there. And drafting a player at, at offensive tackle in the second round does not require you to play that player right away. He's insurance in year one and potentially a long-term answer at, ta- answer, at ta- answer at tackle beginning in year two if the Jets decide to let Fant walk or if Mekhi Becton doesn't come along as hoped. And then obviously you said the players as well. The other two positions I'd keep an eye on, running back. Brees Hall is there out of Iowa State. I also like Kenneth Walker out of Michigan State. Those two guys are dynamic playmakers. I think they have a lot of potential to be every down backs. But in the Jets scheme, they don't even have to be every down backs because you're going to pair them with Michael Carter, create that one-two punch. You want to know what the Jets want to do in their backfield? Look what Kyle Shanahan has done in San Francisco with that running back core where they got three different guys who can consistently go in there and make plays. I keep an eye on there. And then obviously the other position to watch is safety. I think safety is the one where I know the Jets have Whitehead. I know they have Joyner. Um but I think safety is a play depending on who's there in the third and fourth round or second round at second and third round where they could potentially go there as well. But those are positions that I keep an eye on linebacker, interior defensive line, safety uh, and running back. I think those are, those are potential options there for the jets here on day two and uh, eventually day three. All right. It's going to be a lot of fun as of now, two picks for the jets tonight on day two, but that could change as we saw on day one, who knows, maybe they trade back with a couple of picks. Maybe they trade back in who knows. We'll have it all for you. We're going to attempt to do the podcast again later tonight, or maybe just after midnight, we'll see how the jets go, but that is the plan is to do it uh, in the evening uh, before and not tomorrow morning. Uh, But we'll keep you updated on Twitter or Connor will. Um, if you want to subscribe to The Athletic, $1 right now for six months. Go to theathletic.com slash can't wait. We will talk to everybody again soon. Keep the energy flowing. Keep the good vibes flowing after, after good a great vibes. day one. Good vibes. Of the draft. Good vibes. All right. See you, everybody.